Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. Patience brings great rewards. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 305, part 5, Imposters comes to you now via internal imaging chamber and pete before we dive into the star trek universe want to take a look back at yesterday's uh star wars podcast indeed talking about the mandalorian chapter 19 pete an episode that some people are calling controversial the most different episode of the mandalorian to date also uh, if not its longest, one of its longest. And we had a lot to say over there on the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek Feed. Yes, it was an episode where a uh, a minor supporting character moves to the forefront in order to have shadowy uh, connections to what is good or what is bad. I'm not quite sure as we get ready to talk about this Picard episode, uh, which is weirdly about <laughs> has the same thing in it two large elements uh and pete terry madelis gave people a heads up to to watch this episode uh today's episode that we're discussing of star trek picard uh, early in order to avoid spoilers to avoid the return uh and of course it is the second to last episode screened to the media so i look forward pete to howls from the media for part uh seven that's episode 307 as they say i did not know about this early <laughs> the uh cameo in this episode uh not exactly the world's greatest secret um but effective nonetheless uh but it's not as if we weren't warned get on this one right away so yeah one more episode that uh is out there in terms of what people know, and then we really go off the map. Well, let's head into our mission briefing. Aboard the Titan Bridge, Lieutenant Murrah asks Ensign Esmar how soon before they head home. They tell him all systems are expected back online in the next few hours. Ensign LaForge yawns as she checks her station with the turbo lift opening behind her and an out-of-focus male figure moving that security asks what he's doing before he's fired on at close range. Everyone on the bridge is gunned down before the reveal that it's Jack Crusher in a Starfleet command division uniform asmar tells him they know what he really is as the red vines multiply in his vision and he fires only to awaken with a phaser in his hand in his quarters to the echoing voices again his eyes turn red as the subtitles tell us that Beverly's voice tells him to come home. I would agree with all of that, Pete, the tears in his eyes and all of that. I did wonder, uh, I would agree that the voice of Beverly is present in the scene. 
I also had to wonder, am I hearing Vatic's voice there as well? I'm not I quite think sure. Interlaid on top of that, yes. It's all Pete. Liam Neeson has a voice cameo, and Ewan McGregor has a voice. Now we have Vatic <laughs> show. I'm, of course, mixing Star Wars and Star Trek here. Pete on the real bridge, okay? Acting Captain Riker uh, notes that uh, the ship has finally limped to the edge of the Alpha Quadrant. Come on back to Federation space. Uh, we see an exterior shot where, if you can believe it, Pete, it appears there's 25th century uh you know, uh, robots helping repair the ship. You know, we've seen similar technology on Discovery. Uh, in the observation lounge, Picard and Riker ask how the changelings were able to get on, uh, which I think is a super fair question to be asking at this point. And then Seven answers it. There are internal scanners in place to prevent precisely this kind of uh, th this kind of security error here. Um, so obviously we'll dig into that as the episode goes on. There's also, uh, with Shaw present, the uh, collegial matter of returning captaincy back to Shaw. Uh, Riker declares such to the computer. Shaw accepts it. He relieves the acting captain. Thank you, uh, Captain Riker. And with that, Shaw has already contacted Starfleet. They're on their way. You boys are in trouble. Oh, and Hanson, would you like to get in more trouble being stated or unstated? She says stated, so he gives a little benighting wave of the hand here. You are now reinstated and in trouble as well. He's going to step out so the three of them can get their baloney stories straight. Um, I know when we met Shaw, we weren't supposed to like him. And now that we've had his Robert Shaw Jaws captain backstory where we can like him a little bit more uh i'm glad that this guy is back for now because he's a fun butthead he is uh todd stashwick's you know had a real run with this uh picard informs seven and riker when starfleet arrives he will bear the brunt uh leading to a turbo lift to our opening where Picard meets Beverly and Jack to tell them Starfleet is on the way and he'll handle it as best he can. She apologizes for the difficult position they've put him in, but he says the most important thing is they're safe with a chance to return to the lives he hopes to be a part of. She doesn't think this is over yet and wants to know how a changeling bypassed the ship's internal security system. Standard protocol since the Dominion War, we were told by Seven in the previous scene, uh, wants permission to examine the changeling's body, which he tells her to do. Uh, as anything that shines a light on Vatic's intentions for her and Jack will strengthen their case with Starfleet. She leaves, and Jack asks Picard if uh, he should find a comfortable pair of restraints. And his father tells him that he can be persuasive and that many a rebel have found their way to Starfleet if he wants to choose a more honest vocation. And Jack says when Starfleet is done with him, he'll be on his way. Picard turns to say something, but hesitates and leaves before Jack sees Esmar down the corridor. So much guilt, so much guilt. Meanwhile, uh, in our reliable B-plot here, Rafi and Worf are on Serena 
uh, on La Serena, pardon me, which Pete, I'm assuming La Serena is in power saving mode because, uh, again, we have sets that are not, shall we say, being overlit. It's a choice. And every week people are on Twitter saying, hey, guys, why the light's so low? Um, regardless, uh, they do some some fighting here, some practice fighting and so forth. Worf bests Rafi, noting that she is impulsive and short-sighted. Uh, she says that his weakness is talking. And though Worf continues to talk, uh, she attacks back, gets in a few good hits and so forth. But it is clear in this scene uh, that though Rafi is capable, Worf is nonetheless uh, the talk, the top dog now, man. Yes, uh, nonchalantly parrying her attacks uh, before tossing her to the ground again and going to his knees to meditate. As she pauses, a priority communications alert sounds from his handler 24 hours. That's a standard Earther day since they reached out. Worf urges patience as she recaps the attack on the recruitment center was just a distraction for the next attack, which is why he requested access to Daystrom Station to find out what else the changeling stole pause here matt are you aware who was playing our changeling in the wharf raffi uh story that we took last week off from uh i know that he has been a longtime actor and he was a child actor and played a picard family member in generations yes, yes. yeah which you know the moment I saw, I'm like, oh my God, yes, that kid, the little blonde kid. He's also in the, um, oh God, the, the like John Carpenter uh, movie with Kirstie Alley and, um, uh, uh, oh goodness, Christopher Reeve and, and Mark Hamill. So he's had a good, he's had a good career. He's had I mean, a heck of a run, yeah. man. He also with red eyes in that movie. <laughs> Uh, look, sometimes you have a look and it works. Yeah, yeah. These eyes are not natural. Um, but that was the changeling that broke into Daystrom. Uh, the handler here over Starfleet Intelligence uh, chatbot GPT-15000 uh, uh, denies them access and tells them to find another way. Rafi questions why the denial but still urge them to continue. Uh, she's ready to break in there herself, but Warp says they are standing down. He throws another dagger at her feet uh, and pulls up a schematic of the station guarded by a sophisticated AI system that makes access impossible without authorization from Starfleet Command. Rafi asks how the changelings got in which he says only Sneed could answer, but she reminds him he cut his head off. To save her, Worf reminds Raffi. She asks who else is in Sneed's orbit, and he brings up Kryn, kingpin of the Valashi crime syndicate, and they head at a cross-cut sequence here to District 6, where people now you know, oop, gotta go <laughs> away from them because they're terrified after the beheading and 
Worf declares they are now the Alphas. She fires a phaser to announce they're looking for Kryn. As Worf again kneels, they're going to need a backup plan. Amidst the action and the razzle-dazzle here and the, the wonderful posturing of our heroes and so forth, I realize that when it comes to the larger story as being serviced by this episode, Worf and Raffi are carrying that story, carrying the plot on their backs here because just a bunch of that critical information from the break-in to following that down to the fact that they are the trusted uh, agents, you know, it'll bit later be revealed who the handler is and all of that. A uh, lot of plot work being done here and I think being kind of aptly hidden by the action uh, as well. It doesn't feel like, you know, plot plot vegetables being forced upon us here. We go back to the Titan uh, and we see another ship has warped in. This is the USS Intrepid. Titan is ordered to power down. A shuttle of security officers is being sent over um, and... You know, it's it's strange that they are taking a shuttle and not taking a transporter. Uh, indeed, it's strange to us all. I wondered if it was Leonard McCoy at the beginning of the motion picture, but that that's a different point in the timeline here. Uh, and Picard is ready to ask Seven for one more favor. What it is is a mystery by virtue of, you know, cutting away before that information is revealed to we, the audience. Uh, we do then move to uh, Shaw with Riker and uh, Picard in a turbo lift. Shaw is humming. Apologies, he's feeling chipper. <laughs> not for any reason. Picard and Riker are about to get in trouble. Just chipper in general. Uh, Riker does remind Shaw that they saved the galaxy more than a few times. Um, but of course, Shaw reminds them back all the times that there were hiccups from our heroes, including uh, the destruction of the beloved Enterprise D. Star Trek Generations? Um, indeed. That's the movie he's talking about. He's He's seen the files from that movie. Um, so saving the universe, causing the potential destruction of the universe, then undoing it, chicken and an egg. Uh, ultimately, uh, as Shaw steps out, Picard says to Riker, those were the days. An interesting line to make us think about other Star Trek story arcs as opposed to the one that we're in to say those were the days. I mean, I'm being somewhat somewhat snarky here this is a perfectly wonderful story and i know it's the last tng story and all of that but those were the days indeed pete the way in which shaw references them uh throwing out the prime directive so that picard could snog a villager on baku in star trek insurrection or even to the final mission of uh, the next generation on TV, creating a time paradox in the Devron system that nearly wiped out all of humanity. Um, you know, just uh, both a contemptuous and loving look back at their adventures. We know that Shaw likes to take the dim view. Speaking of dim, Matt and Murky, as they round a corner, Riker immediately recognizes Rolaren with two security division officers who ask Shaw for permission to come aboard, which he grants. Couple of thoughts here, Pete. First of all, you know, I know sometimes I'm snarkily or not snarkily talking about the lighting this season. Uh, it is legitimately difficult to tell that she has uh, Bajoran ridges 
it's difficult yes. to tell in every scene because it is so underlit and the 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 prosthetic prosthesis uh has obviously evolved it's not as prominent across the brow as it used to be i mean you go back to when she first showed up in season uh four of uh the next generation and it's nowhere near uh as subtle so there's that which is a production thing not a michelle forbes thing just want to point out just want to recap in this the return and presumed conclusion of michelle forbes time in star trek let's not forget that this is the lady who walked away from a star trek series okay she was meant to be the female lead in deep space nine and they were kind of surprised when she said no um i think in her not even i think in her career she kind of has prided herself on being a bit of a rolling stone and never you know never saying oh i'm gonna do 140 episodes of network procedural or that sort of thing let's also remember pete that legitimately and this is not a slam against forbes in particular or the penultimate episode of the next generation but they by their own by the show's own admission they were out of ideas ahead of the next generation series finale and it kind of was like i don't know what if we bring back ensign Rowe to like do something or other they were not happy to do it they were they the star trek people the berman era people were not particularly happy with her that she had said no to deep space nine pete i'm not here to say she should have said yes i mean make your own call for your for your mm -hmm. career and so forth but they were not thrilled in reaching out to her to see if she would come back for that episode they were kind of not thrilled that she said yes because now it was like okay we'll do an ensign row thing that you know i guess ties that up and leaves picard grumpy ahead of the finale like again just an inch it's interesting and obviously it's way different trek leadership now than back then but she left the berman era people with a very bad taste in their mouths uh, and again i want to stress I don't necessarily find fault. You don't want to be a series lead for seven seasons in Star Trek. That's that's fine. Make your career what you want. But here she is on a certain sense. You know, in 1994, she would have been the least likely person to come back and save the day in another other Star Trek show down the line. Yeah. And like I said, if not for the fairly loud whispers, wouldn't have really believed this. And, and again, the makeup, you know, obviously many years how much her hair has changed no earring you're like you know and i'm watching this at four o'clock in the morning do my eyes believe what i'm seeing <laughs> um it was a dreamlike quality to this viewing in particular um so yeah you know we we go from that to uh jack wandering through the ship seven grabbing him to take him somewhere they can't find him. And then Roe informing Picard and Riker that Starfleet requests they submit to questioning and they could be charged with treason. Back to Seven and Jack. Uh, she's telling him that his father asked her to hide him and tells him to put the contents of a duffel bag on, which she hands him and he looks inside and refuses she tells him it's best to hide in plain sight before leaving. And he takes out the command division disguise. Pete, that's like from the beginning of the episode. It is. We cut to Beverly, uh, who, of course, in her prior scene, 
you know, we got Gates McFadden back and she's not going to do things like just do doctor stuff in service of the plot. She's going to have real meat. And in her prior scene, she was like, I need to go do doctor stuff. I'm going to go leave the scene as you boys talk about real feelings and so forth. But here she is looking over the changeling stuck as LaForge. Um, we get it made very clear because the real LaForge is there. The real Ensign LaForge is there. So no, no worries here about cross streams and so forth. Um, it's noted that this changeling has stayed in its last replicated form. Unlike what changelings normally do, um, Beverly now is going to start to do a dissection of sorts. She cuts a line into the skin. There's no DNA there, but there is a blood-like plasma. Indeed, this could pass the traditional anti-changeling blood test. Uh, so intrigue starting here and intrigue to be added in it a little bit. Uh, but we go back to uh, what my typo says, Pixar and Riker. That would be, where is the Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Inside Out crossover, but Picard and Riker wondering how Ro Laren could be back in Starfleet uh, and how she could turn aside being on Deep Space Nine. I, I, maybe that second part is more me editorializing. How could you betray Gene? <laughs> they recap Ro's final episodes. Uh, There's a trust that she broke. Um, in, indeed, Pete, I will say, um, I remember, like, it is an enviable task or unenviable it's a rough task to be like we're gonna write we the star trek production in 1994 we're gonna write the last regular length episode ahead of what we think is a really awesome series finale double length thing while working on the first tng movie which we like pretty much as well i i think best of, or pardon me uh, all good things is vastly superior to uh to generations but both are both are great and this is like the last 42 minute or what can we crank out and again nobody's happy that they can't think of anything better than ensign Rowe ties a bow on stuff but i will never forget what it was like watching the end of that episode she escapes picard is ticked the heck off and it's like you're like dun 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 sadness and so forth and it's like next week the, the adventure comes to an end can't wait be excited um so it's with that recap that I had that, you know, I was transported back to that memory. Um, but ultimately, she enters the room uh, or, or, or has entered the conversation with a tone that suggests that they are guilty already. And don't call her Roe. Address her as commander. And with that, Riker out. Picard, stay for questions. Riker, you got to get thrown out. No, no, no. He's going to walk out, man. And uh, just tension everywhere. Picard sits and asks how a lieutenant who betrayed Starfleet and her commanding officer gets reinstated. But she asks if he boarded the Titan under the guise of conducting an official inspection in order to steal a shuttle. He asks uh, how a traitor poses as a commander. Uh, Shaw told her they had a changeling on board and she cuts her hand to prove for the moment, she's not one. Picard notes she isn't wearing her Bajoran earring, or has she turned her back on her faith as she had on him and on Starfleet? Um, she wants to talk about his son, who uh, has put on the uniform to hear Beverly again in his visions tell him to find 
and hear her to connect them. He goes to the transporter room where he sees the red visions uh, as people are beamed over to the Intrepid and a security officer asks if he was ordered to beam over yet. He asks if there's anywhere else he can go, maybe even a planet. And the officer tells him no and Jack promptly shoots him, but it's just another hallucination. The officer asks if he's all right, and Jack leaves. It's visionception, visions and visions and so forth. Uh, back on Metallus Prime, Rafi and Worf are waiting. Uh, all of a sudden, there's sniper laser sights on them and pointy ears up here. I have to admit, Pete, I was watching this episode very carefully. I was watching with a lot of focus. I was not distracted. I was taking my notes, etc. Um it was not immediately clear to me that this um, that this was our our capo de capos here. I know in the prior scene, you know, we're going to go look for Crin, and then there was no picture there. Um, I so I guess it's my bad that I didn't. How about this way, Pete? For all the times that shows have ever been like, "Why it's you, Ensign Rowe, you are back," or "Hey, it's Guy from last episode who we will name again." It would have been nice if it, if it was a little... I would have appreciated a, you know, Crin, it is you, or or something like that, because I honestly spent a bunch of the scene until I think the um, the subtitles identify him as Crin. I was like, oh, so this is... this is. I mean, it's a compelling guy. It's the Vulcan gangster and all that. Really you know, great actor, great performance, great emotion to the scene and so forth. I just wasn't clear who it was for part of the scene. Maybe that's my bad. You don't go out and get Kurt Acevedo here to not play your Vulcan gangster. Um, we actually never refer to him in the episode directly as Crin. It's only via the closed captioning that we see, oh, Crin, and then he says a line. So this is Crin. <laughs> you know, somebody we've crossed paths with uh, the actor Mad Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was in 12 Monkeys. Uh, I loved him on Fringe until they unceremoniously killed off the character after the first two seasons and then made him a changeling, Matt. <gasps> <laughs> Which uh, Fringe could traffic in. Uh, but emerging here, he explains that his Vulcan master taught him about pride and its natural evolution being uh, downfall. And it is patience that brings great rewards. Worf tells them they seek information, and they will yield their weapons to um, uh, Worf and Raffi. Uh, but the Vulcan turns and phasers Raffi, who I have to say, Matt, I did notice the recognizable mobile holographic emitter um, in the previous scene. So I'm like, oh, that's Chekhov's mobile uh, hollow emitter. Um, and then she, of course, is caught uh, in the catbird seat with the phaser rifle by some of Crin's other goons. Obviously, it would undo the usefulness of spotting mobile emitters if mobile emitters could hide themselves but like 
note to mobile emitter designers. How about make it be, I don't know, clear, you know, or, you know, make it emit a picture of the arm underneath it and so forth. Again, not, a, not, not a complaint here. I understand at a certain point you need the, you need the thing to be, uh, you know, capable of, uh, interacting with the plot and, and taking off and, and all of that. But, um, we go back to Beverly who notes that the changeling has replicated human organs and it's only under intense dissection that it gets all, all gooey. Uh, Dr. Oak wonders if this is a new species of changeling for Beverly. It's an evolution, which of course means that they could be anywhere or anyone and no one would ever know. Uh, so again, that kind of further adds to the notion that, you know, this is why the, the scanners are being uh, tricked that, you know, when they are scanned, it's not just, goo on the inside it's organs and so forth we go back to commander row uh picard notes that he has known jack for a few days crusher pings in she has some test results that he has to look at asap uh picard says that this is a private and ur urgent medical message here he has to look at that uh kind of implying it's medical information about himself in order to step away to the uh to the wall panel there um, it's a text message, if you can imagine such things in the future, Pete. Uh, Beverly notes that the changelings can now pass the blood test. Trust no one. Um, so why is Roe or Fro Fo <laughs> Okay, she's actually real Roe. But in the moment, she might be Fo-Roe. So Row, row, row your boat. Oh. And Pete, and what is she in at the end? A shuttle <laughs> that looks like a, a, a runabout, a, a boat itself. A runabout? Right, there you go. Did she really go down the stream not so gently, Matt? Mm. She went farther down the stream to where the prophets are. Um, Did she? But, <laughs> well, anyhow, um, ultimately, yeah. How is it that she got back into Starfleet? Uh, she says, particularly like, well done in the plotting here. Um, since we know changelings need to have details and so forth, she says after years with the Maquis, she turned herself in. Got court-martialed again, prison again. A Starfleet Intelligence ultimately recruited her, and she was rehabilitated, Pete. That's right, Pete. Weirdly, that's the same general arc that we saw with Dr. Pershing in this week's uh, episode of The Mandalorian. Of course, there's no collaboration here between Star Trek and Star Wars. Um, and of course, even if there was, it's not like they could ever plan to have these two episodes appear within 24 hours of each other, but that's what happened with both. And I'm just, Pete, the next time somebody beams down to a planet that looks a whole lot like earth and looks a whole lot like a back lot in Hollywood. Now, you know, such things really can happen. Picard points out that her journey, they are mere facts, uh, and isn't what he wants to know, but why she joined the enemy, the Maquis, on their last mission together 30 years ago. She tells him uh, to tell her everything he knows about the changelings, and he says they know nothing because they killed it, but she would like to see the remains. The two members of her security team search for Jack with his photo of his different aliases on a pad so they know what they're looking for even if he might be in a starfleet uniform as picard brings roe he says they should alert sickbay 
Chains of change of plans, however, as she pulls a phaser and tells him to step into the holodeck where she locks the door with the 10 forward program and he reaches below the bar and disables the safety protocols. She says the walls are thin and asks if there's music. So he activates a jukebox and pulls a phaser himself. It's Guinan's. She does remember Guinan, doesn't she, from her first stint on the Enterprise D where Guinan came over and really kind of ruffled her feathers. You remember that, right? Uh, he also asks her about the absence of her earring. Um, he's ready to chew her out. He gets her to spill her guts about how she feels about confusing morality and duty. Uh, they broke each other's hearts. Wait a minute, Pete. That ties into how Picard looked at the end of that penultimate episode of the, the series. So, again, for as much as that was a problematic production, they're picking up right where they left off. And that's a mm -hmm. that's a sadness and an emotion that I buy because it still sticks with me that that mean old Ensign Rowe made Picard sad and angry. Um, in the process, however, uh, they are both... They've both proven to each other that they are who they say they are. So why is she here? She says, Starfleet is compromised at the highest level. So does he trust her? He nods. And uh, I was... Look, because of the utopia of Star Trek, every so often there needs to be not just a threat from, like, the Borg or from V'ger or there's, like, war from the other species that are spilling over here. Sometimes you just need a good old-fashioned... The, the killer is already inside the house and your utopia is not because it's a conspiracy at the highest level. And uh, and here we go, Pete, with, with one of those. Kryn brings Worf and Raffi to where they took poor Sneed's head. Uh, he and Sneed grew up together as blood brothers and he admits he facilitated the break-in at Daystrom. He says there can be no utopia without crime, making it logical. And he has his goons place knives in front of them to settle a bet that gives them a minute to begin to fight before they die. Worf tells Raffaella, House of Musiker, that it has been an honor and picks up the blade because Klingons seldom disappoint they fight and she ultimately stabs him in the abdomen she apologizes and uh he tells her not to because it was a good day to die and collapses it does seem a little over the top i mean <laughs> we of course i i think even the most uh wide-eyed viewer is not really expecting that Worf, who has appeared in the character, who has appeared in more uh, episodes of Star Trek than any other character likely ever will. And Michael Dorn, who's appeared in more, not more Star Trek series than anybody else, because I believe Jonathan Frakes holds that title uh, on account of uh, uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Um, Rena Sirtis might be on that list, too. But I digress, Pete. I, the bottom line being, this is clearly not Worf's, you know, end here, which is forced to fight and gets one little stab wound in his abdomen. I thought Klingons had double of everything, including double abdomens. But I digress. Um, we check in again with the two security officers still looking for Jack uh, on 
uh, on the Titan. Um, and then we're back to Roe, who is reflecting on fleet issues having been popping up for the last four months. And what do you know about Frontier Day? You know, which was first a concept at the beginning of this season. Oh, Picard says, it's Starfleet's anniversary. The whole fleet will be on display. Weirdly, though, the preparations for it are classified. Uh, there have been 12 other incidents on uh, other ships, all of it. Hush, hush. So, again, Pete, here we are at the midpoint of the season. And, A, we have, in my mind, a countdown, Frontier Day, and its preparations uh, for the, the grand reveal of, you know, uh, of baddies phase two and so forth. Um, Ro also mentions that she's heard Jack's name whispered. Uh, they're wondering, can they take this to Admiral Janeway to chancer, chancer role? Um, I suspect maybe neither, although it's great that they're fleshing out the, the, the Star Trek universe here. Uh, all that Ro has that she can trust are two operators on the ground. Now, Pete, you might recall that earlier in this very episode, we saw two operators, trustworthy folks on the ground, but now one of them is dead and she doesn't know it. Alas. Kryn is surprised Raffi bested Worf and has a goon check him. He did, after all, give her 10 to 1 odds. But Klingon blood smell makes him sick, and he has Worf taken away. Kryn tells Raffi she works for him now and threatens her family. She says she'll kill him first, and asks he asks if she'd care to wager on it before his goons are cut down from behind. And Worf proves Klingons never disappoint by putting a knife to Kryn's throat after losing a considerable amount of blood because he's mastered the K-less technique of regulating his heart rate and is in desperate need of medical intervention. That also saves us a, a lengthy monologue, which I, <laughs> I would have appreciated, but if you want to keep things zipping along, um, that certainly is fine. Um, it's recapped at the Daystrom station, though guarded by an AI system, has... Uh, flaws that uh, are illogical um, and the device that was brokered to get in Rafi wants it and Kryn finds handing it over to be logical we go back to Ro who's telling Picard that he must take the Titan and run um, she speaks up to her, to her security officers who I guess are done wandering the ship tells them to get ready to leave uh, Ro wishes that they had uh, been able to you know get to know each other better maybe if she had been i don't know a bajoran presence on a deep space station they could have hung out a little bit i don't know choices were made um roe is leaving without jack crusher she tells her security goons but not before she's given something to picard here we haven't revealed just yet uh and yeah ultimately we'll find out it's her earring uh, Picard goes to the bridge, uh, meeting Riker, Shaw, and Seven there. We must run. Shaw calls for security, then pauses. Rose shuttle takes off, heading back to Intrepid. Uh, but then all of a sudden, we see that her crew leaves something. Of course, it'll be, upon further inspection, it'll be a, a Changeling-style bomb. Uh, then they beam off. We see that Changeling countdown. Um, and surprisingly pete they don't beam to the intrepid they beam back to titan and turn into other security staffers there uh, as the tension is really being ratcheted up here yeah uh and 
they change their appearance when they arrive at the Titan. Um, Ro hails the Titan and tells them they, the ubiquitous they, the changelings, of course, know. Uh, and Seven cannot beam her out because the explosive also has some form of inhibitor. They need to get closer, but she doesn't have time to disarm it. And she tells Picard to finish what she started as she heads towards Intrepid's port nacelle. She is giving him what he gave her all those years ago, a fighting chance. He asks her forgiveness and the connection is lost as the shuttle explodes and the bridge watches in disbelief. Murrah reports Intrepid raises shields and arms torpedoes and Seven says they're being ordered to surrender and Riker says they're being framed as the Intrepid rears back up. Great scene there. I mean, the the visual of it sinking down, quote-unquote taking on water, if you will, and then coming back up again, rearing its head like a like a dragon, like a whatever. The sound um, design too, like it's angry. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a really wonderful, wonderful moment there. Riker reiterates that they need to run. Heck, if they have a battle, don't forget that most of the Titan crew is over there, so you would be, you know, potentially hurting your own crew. Trust your eyes. Look, Intrepid is about to fire on us, and Shaw, you know, we didn't do anything wrong, and all that. Shaw calls for red alert and says that Starfleet has been compromised. Uh, we see that Jack has been cornered by changelings and they're going to try to beam him away. Uh, but all of a sudden he takes them out ninja style. One, two, three, four. All while seeing the Ruti visions increasing here uh, in what is a brief but super effective fight scene. Uh, two more having beamed in behind the two we already knew about and curious that a old style uh, red door there visible ever so briefly in the hallucination before going back to the uh, corridor door. So something symbolic about that. We don't fully have the context for the Titan turns and Intrepid gives chase, firing a pair of torpedoes before uh, the Titan warps out. And Riker says, everyone is coming for them. Riker goes to see Picard and tells him he knows what Roe meant to him. But Picard doesn't think that either of them did. Uh, he shows Riker the earring. And Riker opens up a data chip within it, detailing the investigation she died for. Just as there's an incoming transmission, they answer to find Worf on the other end. And he asks where Roe is. The bad news will be shared off screen. In sick bay, uh, changeling, the changeling bodies are looked over. Four changelings on one ship. Quite a quite a chilling notion here. By the way, nice shooting, Jack. Beverly and Jack talk one on one. He's not sleeping. He looks hollow. Mom can tell. She remembers when he was little. When he stopped sleeping, he was worried about nightmares. He got through them. He can get through this too. But Pete, he says that he's 
not okay, all this stress. Uh, she needs to know kind of more about the situation and quite the odd there, four of them, how for the changelings that he fought off, how did he know they were all changelings? He says he didn't know. But Pete, what does he think to end the episode? Something's very wrong with him. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis uh, for the threats this week. Let's talk about the evolved changelings. I think that Ensign LaForge sells it so well, confronted with her appearance on a dead body, uh, Beverly making a recording for Starfleet for posterity about this phenomenon they haven't seen when she blows chunks off screen. Indeed, and as we had said partially during the recap, I think it's critical to have the real Ensign LaForge there just so everyone is clear that it's not a body swaparoo or something like that, particularly since the dissection is about to occur. So her her shock is necessary, if only to give her a presence in the scene. Uh, Pete, I have to admit, I was, I guess I did not hear the whispers that uh, the former Ensign Roe, the Commander Roe Laren, would return I must confess, I don't recall us having discussed her as a possibility, but she's she's as good a choice as anybody. Especially if you're gonna if you have somebody return and then kill them off in a blaze of glory, you know, better her than life than like Chief O'Brien or something like that. So, uh, very very well used in this episode, even though we spend part of it saying, "Wait, changelings can pass the blood test." Look, she has shown the blood test. Oh, wait, adding tension, tension. Yeah, I mean, what they do in the middle portion of this episode with the suspicion, I mean, hence in an episode called Imposters, the double meaning, of course, you know, her dual agency uh, between, you know, Starfleet, Maquis, you know, though she joined the Maquis, it was kind of implied she was proto-Maquis and then identified and empathized and became Maquis, and now she's back in Starfleet. The point is, we do not believe until, you know, the three-quarter mark that it's actually her, um, because that's the story they're telling here. And Michelle Forbes having all this gravitas for this type of role. You go back to, you know, Battlestar Galactica, where she played the Admiral on the other ship, the Pegasus there that shows up, that immediately it's like, and yay, she is a friend, and they have lots of, you know, fighters, and they're really good. And she runs a ship where... Uh, her officers are xenophobes and carry out sexual assault with no penalties. Now we will fight one another. Pete, another threat in this episode is the Vulcan gangster Kryn, about whom I quote from the Oscar-nominated film, South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Without evil, there could be no good, so it must be good to be evil sometimes. If Kryn is ever going to cut an album, I would request that uh, he cover that song. 
uh, along with whatever sweet Vulcan rhymes uh, he might set into the hot wax. The really welcome, gravelly voice there of Kirk Acevedo and the conundrum that is a Vulcan gangster, right? Okay. Um, he's the perfect choice to play this. The the one pointy ear looked like it had been chewed on. He's got some facial tats. Uh, he was running around with a Ferengi, most illogical, yet th- the illogic of it being logical. Pete, I know that we've moved away from the the Star Trek shorts and so forth, but uh, how about even if it's in the short form, can we get a, not a spinoff, but can we get a crin off one of these days? <laughs> Uh, I hear they'd like to return to those maybe because they're less expensive than an actual series and they can utilize existing assets. Oh man, return to Metallus or District 6 again with the snow feathers in the air. Pete, let's set our long-range sense oars to search for some theories, and let's start with this. Let's start with the big mystery of the episode. What's going on with Jack? I mean, sometimes Occam's Razor says the most obvious is the way to go. Is somehow he part changeling? I don't know that he's part changeling. Um, The glowing of the eyes for him, we've seen that on the changelings. Um, but, um, could he be somehow connected, Matt, to the Pa Wraiths? Possibly. I know that there, among other things, I know, uh, Terry Matalus, so I almost called Terry Metalis because the show, uh, Terry Matalus has promised more and more surprising cameos and so forth. And again, Ensign Rowe was very, very good. Is it break the internet, knock my socks off? No, but we are only five episodes through. And yes, it's the halfway point and we only have five to go and all of that. But I expect more goodies coming soon. Um, So, again, if if there's the potential to tie it to Paw Rates and Deep Space Nine and Cisco and things like that, it's it's welcome. Um, I don't fully see it, but I mean, the show is certainly fully committed to whatever it is there's some sort of extraordinary connection here to something else it's not just you know i decided to be bad or something like that there clearly is conflict going on in his soul that and the disclosure toward episodes and of the childhood nightmares that beverly remembers but he doesn't which makes sense um and then you remember matt if he is indeed the love child of Beverly Crusher and Jean-Luc Picard that um, dad was assimilated by the Bork and any materials that he would have been conceived with would have been loaded with Borg nanoprobes. Um, I said last week, it would be nice if we don't need to have the Borg be like swoop in and be the big bads yet again, because I think Star Trek has played that out. Um, 
I would not be in favor of that being a story reveal. You um, can't throw Picard's baby out with the Borg bathwater. I suppose. I suppose you are correct. Um, let me ask you this, Pete. The episode, the episode does not commit to the idea that there are still changelings out there among us on the Titan. Um, it certainly does not commit to it the way like the social media PR in the last week did, where it's like, you know, Riker picture, Crusher picture, you know, other people, who is real, who is fake. Like they're not, you know, they're not going that that hard with the secret invasion. But if you had to pick someone on the Titan, which once again, for the second time this season, now finds itself completely closed off from the rest of Starfleet, uh, who would you peg as yet another changeling intruder? Beverly Crusher. I feel inclined to agree. Do you think she knows? Do you think she or any other, like, can there be changeling sleeper agents who believe themselves to be real until the Cylons? <laughs> <laughs> Pete, look, they killed off Michelle Forbes for a reason. She would have known the Cylons right? who have a, and, and they have a plan. She would have had officers, you know, assault them uh, to, you know, for their own disgusting gratification and then, you know, put the officers that, uh, you know, accidentally killed them on a, you know, protruding screw uh, in the wall um, to a to a death penalty tribunal uh, conducted without uh, Admiral uh, Adama, I mean, Picard's, um, you know, uh, participation. But um, she she could be the one hiding in plain sight. Oh, I'm going to tell you all about the changelings now because I am one. Certainly, our T any of our TNG people, maybe least of all Picard, but any of our TNG people, there's the possibility for the story to go there. If we are going to get the roundtable scene in the uh, conference room that has been promised to us, that has been shown to us, so I'm not doubting that's actually going to happen. I mean, I have a hard time believing that we will get that scene, which, you know, clearly it's happening somewhere in the, the last half of this season the last half of th this season of you know as the show comes to an end etc to find out after the fact well it was all our actors but actually one of them was playing a changeling like that that i'm a little less cool with so if we are going to do you a could reveal, reveal her beforehand and they rescue the real one I exactly mean, who's been trapped in a closet back on yeah, metallus Jack, jack's being told find me <laughs> in her voice yeah. You know, um, we also don't know if if she is a changeling, this whole story about the childhood nightmares to be accurate or true. It could be manipulation. Is Jack uh, a, a changeling and real Jack is elsewhere? I mean, they're doing a great job of sowing doubt, you know, unpredictably so. They are, they are, and, you know, also they're doing a great job of keeping uh, the larger, clearly second half of the season issue of the big changeling reveal, the Frontier Day attack, and all of that. Um, I, I'm really impressed at how that Frontier Day was kind of so easily seeded in the very beginning of the episode, uh, pardon me, in the beginning of the season, as just 
a thing for them to kind of talk about in terms of like, I'm going to give a speech and you're going to give a speech. So I don't know, maybe we're going to give an inspection thing before we give speeches. Um, and now it's kind of this, you know, countdown to invasion um, situation here. Um, and I mean, probably showing up at episode nine or 10, that sort of thing. Um, again, I'm and, really, and I'm really impressed with fireworks and all these other ships and stuff like that. I, I think, you know, they were again, kind of hiding that in plain sight that that would be a thing to build up, you know, this test fire of the portal weapon, you know, before the real nefarious attack yeah there's really there's there's a there's a there are a great number of things to look forward to you know it's been a while since we talked about the portal tech um getting Worf and raffi off of metallis six like how about we do that next episode because i can't believe they've been there as long as they have um there's a lot of potential for great momentum in the second half of the season which you know maybe portions of the first two seasons of picard Maybe they had some momentum issues in the second half, and I feel like we're not going to have that for the remaining five episodes. How have the changelings beaten the internal imaging chamber that has been uh, in uh, usage since the Dominion War? I mean, I guess it's by honing this ability to mimic uh, the internal structure of uh human and humanoid bodies part of me is like well i feel that a little i feel it's a little dubious but then it's like wait i'm not dubious about goo people who can look solid <laughs> but i am dubious that they can make the inside like that if they go to special spy school that they am i really going to be dubious that they can memorize like where the liver goes and the heart and all of that you know as i said last week they're leaning into the fiction of science fiction in a way that lets you just sit and go I can't complain about changelings who can do X and Y, but not Z. Like it's all, it's all equally up for grabs and equally fictional. Um, I also would add to, you know, back, Pete, uh, breathy discussions in 1991 and 1992. How can uh, Starfleet in Star Trek six be somewhat detecting cloaked Klingon ships, but in next generation, they can't. Oh, it's because the movies and the TV don't talk to each other. You know, and then there was just a very simple production answer of like, yeah, in Kirk's time, they developed a slightly better way to sense it, and then the Klingons figured it out, and they patched that hole. And there's always a cat-and-mouse game going on. So to me, it's logical that the changelings, if there is this um, you know, alpha quadrant, beta quadrant uh, facing um, force, you know, the, the, the changeling rebels, whatever it is, that of course they're going to figure out a way to beat the scanners because it's always perpetually cat-and-mouse and... Mouse, and not for nothing, they're changelings, so of course they could change their insides and the stuff once they figure out how to do it. Picard floats the notion that his son could join Starfleet in this episode, so clearly that's coming by season's end, right? Uh, yeah, and they're, they're, they're such a, speaking of cat and mouse, there's such a weird cat and mouse game going on on social media from Terry Matalis, Terry Matalis, there we go again, Terry Matalis, Todd Stashwick, in terms of like, I'd love to do another show. I'd love to, you know, like. <laughs> Signed the petition I have shared. Which like, again, and may, look, maybe maybe Paramount Plus psyops are, are better than we think, but 
if there was already a contract in place that included like your standard non-disclosure, then I'm assuming Todd Stashwick wouldn't be out there hyping it unless of course somebody has said you can like, please go and hype this because then that'll make people think that we haven't planned ahead. Um, then you add in streamer slim down and all of that. Like maybe they really haven't planned ahead and it's like, we'll see what's available. Let's not put a contract in place that we then regret. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, Star Trek, uh, Kelvin four and all those contracts that presumably needed to be dealt with or wh whatever that looked like. Um, so maybe it's just a case of like, oh man, if Todd Stashwick picks up another job when we think about doing Titan, uh, then he's not in the first season or not like, you know, from, from a studio perspective, maybe it's all, it's all gravy and you worry about that at a later point. Um, but it sure does seem like they're interested in it, but that there's not a, previous plan to do it but that doesn't prevent the character from any of these characters from being set up for their own spinoff this season even if there's not a real world contract in place so how would admiral picard not know that Rolaren went back to starfleet pete he's been out of the game for a long time okay he's retired admiral for a long time um, he's overseeing the academy he's with the mucky mucks i have a very hard time believing all right you want to tell me secret and starfleet intelligence yeah i can believe that um but so often we talk about we're we're one line away oh this is why i never learned that I I will excuse it because I think that we've seen how Picard has a transient has had a transient life. Like I would buy the notion that Picard never Googled Rolaren after you know after the heartbreak and the egg on his face and all of that, that he kind of continued with these vaunted legendary things of his career, including, you know, shortly after Roe went, you know, Roe left, there was the whole time thing of you know best of both worlds or there to go go and miss a name it again of all good things then he loses a ship again which presumably is another court martial so on and so forth then he gets the e and all those adventures I, I could i could buy that a guy who keeps people you know as much as we want to love space dad space dad does not come around very often space dad we invite to you know space thanksgiving and he always sends his regards in the bottle of Chateau Picard, but never shows up himself. Um, I would, I would, I, I'm okay thinking that Space Dad was so hurt and embarrassed by Ensign Rowe that he kind of didn't use, didn't use the powers, the, the official powers that he had while in Starfleet and or the unofficial powers of retirement or the quasi-official powers of running Starfleet Academy, all of that, that he kind of never looked into it because he's not going to, again, as much as we love Space Dad, he's not looking at his failures He's just thinking back about his successes. This is science fiction after all. So when uh, we lose a connection with a shuttlecraft that then blows up, of course, the beloved returning character inside of it is lost forever, right? I hear what you're saying, that there's enough plot. Uh, I mean, plot hole is a little finger wavy but there's there's enough plot room for her to have been beamed out at the last minute um and so forth 
emotionally do I feel that? I don't. Do I think she's going to show up in the next five episodes? Not really. I mean, I think it's meant to be for for those of us, i.e. the fans, who knew her, she's underlined that the threat is real and that it goes all the way to the top. And for those who knew her within the show, uh, Riker and Picard in particular, it underlines to them the threat and she has given her life uh, for for Starfleet after all and all of that. I, I, so again, I think for kind of narrative and emotional reasons, she stays dead, but I could be wrong in the next five episodes, or maybe she shows up in the Titan spinoff. Uh, or Pete, what if we go back in time? She could show up in Lower Decks. Uh, heck, maybe she gets involved in time travel hijinks, shows up in Strange New Worlds, etc. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We start with our Twitter poll, Pete, which had, uh, again, <laughs> reflected on how this week's Star Trek adventure included time with a returning character on rehabilitation and will the new ways stick or turn to goo. Uh, how did people rate the episode? One star, crime is not logical, got 0%. Two stars, Starfleet in and out, got 3.8%. Three stars, and I know we have a respondent from our pal Ian who says that maybe I should have given this title to the four star one. Uh, but three stars, best of row worlds, 3.8%. And then four stars, conspiracy. Uh, some replies here. First comes from James the Sagacious. That's your big killing on Twitter. Uh, those nose ridges were so bad, I thought she was an inexperienced changeling. <laughs> Th- think about that. And again, Pete, I I, I like to think Terry Maddles listens to the podcast. I, I think we've sent him a link. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Think about that with your artistic choice to be doing such, you know, kind of dark mood lighting here. People didn't know she was the real person that she was saying she was because of how she appeared on screen. Uh, anyhow, James says, no, are just so bad. I thought she was an experienced, uh, inexperienced changeling. Worf's fake out could have been on lower decks. He could see the mobile emitter, but not the slow heart trick. Um, it was still perfect. I read that Roe was supposed to be Kira in Deep Space Nine, but she turned them down. In one episode, they made up for that in more. In, uh, is the fact that Jack is half ex-Borg a factor in this story, not just a drone, son of Locutus? That could be, that's interesting, especially since we had it reiterated, you know, he's the only Borg with the name and all of that. So your thoughts there, Pete, do we get SOL, son of Locutus, thrown at us? Again, you can't throw the Borg baby out with the bathwater. Uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln tests LC-139 says the ongoing mystery about Jack and are they or aren't they changeling speculation was a lot of fun although I thought we'd see Spiner and Burton by now agree Uh, two questions why were those nose ridges so weak Two: when are the conspiracy bugs going to show up Uh, he included a picture of Ensign Rowe circa you know TNG era and uh, and now um, and then Diana Bodenberg, D. Grums one replied and said, maybe it's the opposite of humans and the wrinkles get less visible when they get older. Pete, let's go with that. I like you that as an answer. Redesign. I mean, come on, look at the makeup throughout Star Trek. It changes. It gets better. Um, yeah, they they changed it midway through Deep Space Nine for the Bajorans. They really kind of took away the the brow piece and just kept the nose ridges. I liked that they made it subtle on uh, Michelle Forbes. Um, I mean, first off, she's just a good looking lady. 
okay and two that's part of the mind game they're playing in this episode that is she isn't she she's got to win us over and boy does she we are from Brett Desmo Williams, BW Desmo on Twitter. Now, action and screen. The shots of Titan and Intrepid started out epic and ended better. The sound they used as an injured monster writes itself in front of Titan was chilling. Why is there fire in space? People are like, why do we hear sounds in space pedants? It was glorious. <laughs> Next, we hear from at Gooner JCH on Twitter. Uh, what's up with the veiny things that Jack are seeing? I don't recall such an effect in Changeling-related stories before, but then these Changelings are different. Maybe they're hybrids with Species 8472. What with all the Voyager references? Can't wait for the next episode. Roe and Picard had me glued to the screen. I almost wish that Rose Picard's... I almost wish that Rose Picard's kid rather than Jack. Um, it's tough to beat the history shared by existing characters. Then I wonder if people unfamiliar with TNG might feel differently. Picard's attitude regarding the Maquis was a bit of a surprise to me. Maybe he's conflating his anger toward Roe with reformed Maquis. After all, Chakotay is shown as having rejoined Starfleet, so surely he's aware of second chances given to former Maquis. Uh, next, Pete, uh, looks like there's yet again another tweet from brett desmo williams maybe this was twitter being funny with not enough engineers on staff i don't know but uh brett says love this. <laughs> indeed uh brett says love this one the 10 forward scene is one of the best written best performed uh back and forth in all of trek i was unprepared to get row back uh feel the feels lose her and lose her in such a short amount of time uh ian knight zort 70 on twitter our our brother in arms pete says voted for the top answer it was tempted to vote for best of row worlds just for the pun um in, in retrospect that should have been the four star one but it's all for fun here last tweet pete comes from the aforementioned diana bodenberg d grums one i was so happy to see roe back and uh now they're going to kill her off right away i'm feeling more and more that jack and beverly are both changelings and picard got catfished about having a son <laughs> again <laughs> Pete, to the email inbox we go, and we hear from Jackie Wolf, who says as follows. Hello, Matt and Pete. Wow, this episode was a real doozy. I find myself really enjoying this season of Picard. I need to commiserate with Matt and Pete for a second about the age difference between the actor playing Jack Crusher and the age of the character itself. I know that making a choice like this is very common in Hollywood. The actor playing Picard's son in, quote-unquote, in the TNG episode Bloodlines was in his mid-30s playing a young adult. It was distracting for me in that case the same way as it is for me in this storyline. Maybe there are reasons for this I don't understand, and this is no way a slight against Ed Spielers. He's a good-looking guy and a wonderful actor. That being said, when this episode opens with an extreme close-up of his eye opening, and I think for a split second that it's Picard's eye because the lines around them for realizing <laughs> it's actually Jack, it pulls me out of the story a little bit. Bro just doesn't look like he's 22 years old. There, I said it. I previously mentioned being awed by the makeup updates. Can we please see a heavy makeup 90s era actor with the updated makeup Grand Nagus Rom? Quark doing whatever tricks he's pulling these days, maybe being a point man for Worf and Rafi. Ooh, yes. I would like a Quark return as well. That would yeah. just be yeah. lovely. Uh, she goes on to say, I really enjoy seeing Picard wear what I affectionately call the Picardigan. <laughs> oh, Jackie. <laughs> perfection it really brought me back to the later season of tng later seasons uh with a nice little detail to bring back glad to see michelle forbes again loved her in trek and loved her in battlestar galactica a fitting end for an amazing character may the prophets guide you row 
Ship design is not my strength, but it looked like there were two deflector dishes on Intrepid. Can someone explain the reason behind this? Pete, I know, I think Dave Blass was out there and saying that it, it there was a rear sensor suite because the Intrepid, the Intrepid got big sensors in the front at big sensors in the back. Um, I would agree. You put a big dish in the back. It looks like a deflector dish, but it's it a sensor thing. Like initially to me, it was in the style of the Excelsior or the enterprise B that has that funny cut to it in the rear. And, and then there did look like there was something housed there. Pete intrepid's got curves in the front and curves in the back. <laughs> Looks beautiful to me. Back to Jackie Wolf's words here. Lastly, I want to take a second to congratulate Matt and Pete on 10 years of podcasting. I listen to pretty much every podcast the two of them offer, but I found them through searching for a Picard recap podcast. I'm glad I did. I'm proud to be a Patreon supporter. I promise Matt and Pete didn't tell me to say this. Uh, Indeed, Pete, I'm reading this email for the first time, as you know, and I don't know if our listeners know, I don't pre-read the emails here, so... I'm as surprised as as you are. Uh, but Jackie goes on to say, I'd like to encourage everyone to consider supporting them if you're not currently doing so. Matt and Pete work hard to bring us our favorite episodes, ad-free, mind you. And Patreon makes it super easy to set up. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month. So even uh, humble stay-at-home moms like me can support our favorite artists. As always, thank you for all you do, Matt and Pete. That from Jackie Wolf. Oh, thank you, Jackie. And, you know, this month being the beginning the the soft launch of six months of our 10th anniversary this is when we started uh podcasting in advance of agents of shield which is gonna celebrate its 10th year of starting in september when we officially went live as fantastic geeks so over the next six months we're going to be doing all sorts of different things uh gonna be uh redoing patreon a little bit too so might be the perfect time to jump on there and thank you for the commercial there jackie yeah thank you uh pete we go to stacy who says hi matt and pete wow this episode was so good starting with the sound of a happy ship pinging away moving to jack's vision of shooting the bridge crew his visions are getting worse there's clearly more to him than just i got pregnant the last time we were together jean Luc." so the question is does beverly know it i'm still on the fence about shaw while I can't blame him for how he feels about what Riker and Picard did, his delight at the idea of them having their butts handed to them, as he puts it, is childish. I did enjoy him reminding them uh, of all the times they caused trouble in response to their listing some of the times they saved the universe. And when push came to shove, he did what Riker said. Saw what was before him and recognized that they needed to get the heck out of there. So happy to see Rafi and Worf again. What a great sparring scene. I love that Worf calls her Raffaella. Hugh Rafi, you don't know Worf well enough to pull the I've sacrificed more than you card. The music when the Intrepid dropped out of Warp was too ominous for Picard and Riker are going to the principal's office. (laughs) (laughs) Ro Laren, wow. How does she know Jack is Jean-Luc's son? Jean-Luc just found out like 10 minutes ago. I love the continued use of the holodeck 10 forward for private chats. It would have been great if Ro had taken a dig at Chateau Picard, but I guess it wasn't that kind of moment. What a good conversation, showing that their perspectives on their relationship was wildly different. And that is proof that they are who they seem to be. All their scenes were so good. I thought Roe giving Picard her earring was just symbolic. The light in Riker's eyes when he says he knows why she gave it to him was great. Her whole investigation is there. Uh, and it auto-called Worf. Roe was Worf's handler. 
uh, pardon me, Worf was Rose Handler. I misread uh, Stacy's words there. Her sacrificing herself to give the Titan time to get away. Phew, again. Holy crap, shapeshifters that can mimic the physiology of the things they copy. Oh no, is Jack one of those new changelings? I like that Jack admitted to Beverly that he didn't know the people he killed were changelings and that he thinks something is wrong with him. A lesser show would have had him hiding from it until the crap hit the fan. Ah, Worf and Raffi are so good, but Crin is the bad guy, so of course he thinks a few steps ahead. Kirk Acevedo chewing the scenery as the Vulcan baddie was so good. Oh, they had me for a minute there with the duel between Worf and Raffi. Not as long as when Jack was coding, but Worf is good here. I believed him when he told Raffaella House of Musiker it had been an honor. And when he said today was a good day to die, you're a warrior. This is a worthy death. Phew, Klingons never disappoint. I can't wait to see how this all plays out. And as always, looking forward to your thoughts. That from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88 on Twitter. They have to make these moments believable, yet at the same time, something you could kind of see coming. So no one expects Worf is going to die, yet we have the dramatic lift of, oh, and he's right behind him now with the dagger. Last email in the inbox here from uh, Josephina Avalos, who says, hello again. This episode had me all over the place. I don't know where to begin. I liked seeing Worf and Rafi back in action doing their undercover work. I didn't know once in Roe, I mean, Commander Roe was going to make an appearance. When they first showed her backside, I thought for sure it was Belana Taurus with the haircut and strut. Mm. The excitement of seeing uh, Commander Roe quickly ended when she was killed off. In that short time, I'm glad she made amends with Picard. Side note, when Picard said computer music, <laughs> my Alexa device started playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I rewatch, I guess, uh, Pete, I guess now we know that Josephina's uh, Amazon device is named computer. Um, anyhow, she goes on to say, I rewatched uh, the TNG episode where she left to be with the Maquis. So when Picard says, you broke my heart, and she responded with the same, I felt that. Oh, we have another Janeway reference for this episode. Yes, let's take this issue to Admiral Janeway. Oh, one can only hope. I just realized I'm watching two shows right now that both have ties to the remake of Battlestar Galactica, Starbuck, who's on The Mandalorian, and Commander Rowe as Admiral Kane of the Pegasus. I don't know what's the deal with Jack Crusher and the Changelings. What if he's, unbeknownst to him, a host harboring a bad guy cognitively? Maybe my conspiracy bug thing still works. Maybe that's the answer. Anyhow, uh, Josephina says, and the side effect is amnesia with spurts of relapses, hence him turning all John Wick on us. Glad Crusher addressed how it is that he knew all four were changelings. It's like he's suffering from imposter syndrome with himself. OMG, the last episode with Ensign Rowe, she was an imposter as she infuriated the Maquis. Okay, now I'm just reaching too far. Well, I'll leave you with the last words from Rafi. Can you not put holes on my floor every time you need to make a point? Semper Fi, <laughs> Pete, that from Josephina. Yeah, and I love the parallels uh, Star Wars and Star Trek right now reaching into Battlestar Galactica. Okay, where's James Almos? Uh, Pete, let's now go to our listener line where JT Adkins left us a voicemail. Hey, Matt and Pete, this is J.T. Adkins giving you a call about this week's episode of Picard. Wow, what an episode. Um, and it's got Michelle Forbes. And you know what? I'm old enough that I remember when in, like, whatever it was, 1987 or something like that, uh, Michelle Forbes showed up on Guiding Light, which was my wife's, uh, well, only soap, not just favorite soap. And Michelle Forbes played a character named a mysterious woman named Sonny, who was 
who, as it turned out, was really her evil twin sister, Selita, who, as it turned out, was actually Sunny, who had been traumatized and who believed that she was her evil twin, Selita, when actually she really was Sunny. And if that sounds ridiculous, because it is, but Michelle Forbes was great doing it. And we were like, she's great. So when she showed up on Next Generation a few years later, it was like, she's great. And there she is. So when she showed up this week on Picard, I like yelled at the TV. My wife actually wasn't home. So she had to see it later. But um, because I was like, ah, she's back. And such a great episode, such great utilization uh, of an actress who played a terrific character and her with Patrick Stewart doing their stuff. Oh, great. And then the action and then the ship, the wounded. Um, I suddenly can't think of the other ship. Intrepid? Uh, coming sort of back to life to attack. Ah, just great stuff. What a great show. Love it. And one more thing. Shaw was sitting around sharpening a knife when in the, was it this week or last week? In the scene with Seven. Is that the knife that he uses to cut off his hand and get orders from the gooey face? Is Shaw changeling? Pete, I love the brain work there that JT has done in terms of we've seen uh, Vatic use a knife to cut her hand off. And we saw Shaw sharpening his knife um, in the same episode. And here we've gone an entire podcast not wondering if Shaw is the changeling. Um, your thoughts there. Is that the reveal that Shaw is a secret baddie? The knife has been found uh online people have identified it um i don't know that it's the same that vatic uses so we'll have to see well still it could be here's another changeling captain with a knife ready to cut his hand off to get on the the goo information superhighway something to watch (laughs) out for certainly next up pete let's hear from admiral fred from the netherlands who i hope I hope, is not a changeling. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 5. I watched the episode as well as The Ready Room with Will Wheaton, and he had as guests Michelle Hurd and Michael Dorn, so Ruffy and Worf. Wow, this Michael Dorn is what you call well conserved the guy is 70 and you really have the idea he is well around 60 or even less i'm currently giving audio feedback to my regular podcast sci-fi tv rewatch by dave and wayne and we are doing a rewatch of fringe and kirk as the veto has a big role in fringe as people would know who know this series and i think in listeners to this podcast i think a lot of them know fringe so i was very much amazed uh, hearing firstly hearing kirk Acevedo, because when he came out of the dark and i heard his voice i immediately recognized him and then he came into the light as this uh, falcon called crin it was so good to see michelle forbes back who plays rolaren Actually, one of my secret uh, secondary favorite characters from The Next Generation. Because she opposes Picard a little bit, which I like very much. 
And what uh, plays a role in that, she also plays Dr. Marion Bowles in Orphan Black. And everything Orphan Black always resonates with me, as you probably know by now. I have some difficulties with the role of Captain Shaw here. He is somewhat in between being opposed and cooperative and ironic, etc. It's it's not coming really as genuine here. And I think that's not due to the actor, but more to the writing. The way the role of Rolaren was written was marvelous, I have to say. And it's a pity that it was the last of what we see of her. On the other hand, it was a little gift, because I never had anticipated to see her back. And as probably everybody, I'm quite confused about the role of Jack Crusher and what is happening to him here. But we just have to wait to see what is the thing with him. Okay, that will be all for now. Greetings. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, I would wholeheartedly agree with Fred that I have not been thinking in the last couple episodes about the fact that Michael Dorn is 70. I did feel maybe his return appearance uh, was that second or third episode. I was perhaps I was getting back into having Worf back or perhaps he was getting back into the role or whatever. Uh, maybe I was looking too much at the makeup or the mustache or things like that. But since that first episode, this is just Worf as vital and uh, mm. thoughtful as ever, as powerful as ever, you know, a little bit more reflective now and so forth. But, you know, a, a seamless job here. Time's marched on for a lot of our characters, but it seems less so for him and, you know, just eats it up when he's on screen. Pete, can Kirk Acevedo return for the presumed Titan spinoff, maybe even playing another character if needed? You know, paint him blue, paint him green, give him no ear, uh, pixie ears at all. He could play a normal human guy. What do you say? Can we get him back? He's a Terry Madalus favorite. He did 32 episodes of um, 12 Monkeys, um, just too shy of his uh, 34 episodes for Fringe. So bring him back. Well, Pete, with five episodes to go for Picard and plenty of conspiracy to go, heck, who knows, Pete, maybe it's conspiracy bugs versus changelings in the battle for who can take over the humanoids. Um, how can people be in touch with you to share theories and predictions and so forth? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,806 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. Also, you could be like JT Adkins. You can text or leave a voicemail to 732-707-1815. Pete, how else can people be in touch? You can get in touch with us via Facebook, facebook.com slash fantasticgeek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Looking ahead on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, continuing with Star Wars Saturdays as we continue to make our way through this season of The Mandalorian. And of course, continuing with Star Trek Sundays here on this feed and the Pop Culture Podcast feed as we enter the second half of the final season of Picard. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. You know what? Sometimes work is fun. <laughs> <laughs>